0: up everybody welcome to draft chat this is episode number 54 my name is zach i'm one of your hosts and i'm joined as per usual by my co-host ben fisher how's
1: it going dude going pretty well now i just want to pause real quick there's no fire alarms happening right now right
0: yeah it's funny you say that i'll actually add that to my teferi tibolt i have something to add <laughs> to that um, but no i we should be good with this building though it's it's always hard to tell
1: so I mean the last several times Zach and I have attempted to do anything podcast related it seems we can't escape these fire alarms that keep going off I, I think he burnt something in his apartment Was that wasn't right
0: me it wasn't me <laughs> I've never burned yeah, anything okay. in my entire life except things that I lit on fight I'm gonna we're
1: gonna we're gonna go we'll move on <laughs> we cut that one off so today we've got kind of a uh as Zach named it a purgatory potpourri because we're in purgatory between sets right now we don't really know what's What's coming up? We don't really uh, well, we kind of know what's behind us, but we're kind of in limbo right now. So we've got a few things to chat about uh, card evaluation. We're going to talk some spoilers and some other assorted nonsense. So uh, I think Zach has some some things to say before we do that, though.
0: Yeah, of course. We have our usual housekeeping. If you're not in the Discord, definitely check that out. The link to our Discord server is in the episode description as well as on our Twitter page. The Discord is completely free, and it's a great place to be to chat all things AFR as well as any constructed formats we just added due to a uh, listener slash Discord member request. We added a vintage and a legacy uh, channel as well for the constructed section of our Discord, and we have a ton of different limited formats available as well to discuss. So. If you're interested in finding like-minded individuals and discussing different MTG-related things on a regular basis, check out the Discord. Also, the show is brought to you by you, the listener, via Patreon. You can check out the Patreon if you're not already a patron at patreon.com forward slash draft chaff pod. This is what keeps us doing this day in and day out, week in and week out, and we have a bunch of different tiers over there giving you access to things like official DraftChaff stickers, the full show notes, uh, custom deck building opportunities with us, access to uncut and unedited versions of the show with some pre-show, some post-show nonsense. Thanks to the Patreon, we are also uploading all of our episodes to YouTube, which is great, and we're hoping with our next goal to hit uh, the ability to broadcast live as we record, so that would be awesome. We can have uh, all you folks jump into a live stream of some sort and, and watch as we go through the show live and in person. And on that note, we also have to shout out Robert, our latest patron. Thank you so much for your support. Really, really happy to have you on board. And uh, really, we can't thank you enough for all of your support. And we're also adding a couple of new things to the Discord, kind of rolling out some new ideas as we get into this, our second year of the show. So definitely look at that on a regular basis. If there are some things you're not uh, seeing there that you'd like to see, Discord's a great place to give us feedback on that, but that actually segues into my next bit of housekeeping, and that is that we recently sent out a survey to all of our Discord members, our Twitter fans, and if you aren't on either of those channels following us, uh, it was in the episode description of last episode. It'll also be in the episode description of this episode. Check out that survey. It really helps us a lot to shape the show as we're going into the second year to really hit the sweet spots of what we've been trying to do as well as what you guys are interested in hearing and like. Like us to cover and like us to stop wasting time on, or all these different things. There, it's it's really a big help. We've got some feedback rolling in on that already, and it's been a big help. And it actually helped put us onto this episode topic this week. So, without further ado, onto our crack draft type thing.
1: Right. So this week we've got a a bit of a unique one. I wasn't really feeling Strixhaven, and there's some sets going around right now. There's the the what is it, Chromatic Cube, which is kind of sweet, but I, I wanted to do something paper. You know, Zach and I were a little spoiled. We got to crack some paper packs over the weekend. I'm kind of feeling like sticking with it. So actually, shout out to uh, some of the Discord members who are organizing a sealed league. I happen to have six packs on hand. And look, I know I just can't really resist. Now, by the time this episode comes out, some of you might not even hear this by the time uh, (laughs) we crack the packs for the sealed league. It's happening on the same day as this episode releases. Uh, Those that are listening that are playing the Seal League, you get to find out what's in one of my Zendikar Rising packs because, I don't know, I haven't cracked one of these in a while. It feels kind of nice. So let's see what ends up being in here.
0: And to clarify for the League, what we're doing is uh, we're splitting a Pseudo-Chaos Sealed, where we're uh, doing two packs from some of the more recent uh, standard legal sets. So you've got Zendikar Rising, I think Kaldheim, and Strixhaven.
1: All right, let's start off this pack. We've got a nice full art planes, of course. Uh, That's, you know, always good to have. So We've got Expedition Champion. I'm just going to kind of breeze through these, see uh, if anything sticks out, which I do like in the aggressive red decks. Expedition Champion. Living Tempest, always underwhelming. It did occasionally kill me. Uh, Dreadworm, same. Grotag Bug Catcher, my boy. I first picked this card over most rares in the set, and it never does me dirty. Smite the Monstrous, meh, it's fine. Scale the Heights, I believe to be a trap. Zulaport Duelist, for you Dirty Rogues players, uh resolute strike, an embarrassing but serviceable combat trick. Vanquish the weak, solid removal. Cliffhaven Kite Sail, one of the the snap equipments. Pretty good stuff. Sky Skyclave Plunder, the big 5 drop uh so, uh sorcery lets you scribe bunch draw cards. Cleric of Lifebond, the best 2 drop in the in the black white life gain deck. We got a Kabira Takedown and the rare is a Tejuru Paragon. That was the one of the green 3-2 Elf that had uh, all party types and had Kicker that let you go find more stuff from your party. I don't know. It's looking like a, a pretty good spread in this pack. I do love a Cleric of Life Spawn. I love a Kabira Takedown. And those would pair huh, okay with other stuff in here. Nothing sci- uh, sticks out super mo- well in this pack. To be honest, if this was a uh, a draft, I would consider the Grotag Bug Catcher. But I'd probably end up taking the Cleric of life's Spawn or the Kabira Takedown.
0: Yeah, I think uh, Vanquish the Week is also potentially a pick here. Um, Never really bad to pick up early removal. Not that if I recall that that was the best, like one of the better removal spells in the format, but, um, you know, it's always serviceable. Uh, Bugcatcher's up there for me as well. It was one of the better red two drops in the format, but the black-white deck was my favorite deck in the format, and that cleric is one of the linchpins for it, so Mm -hmm. I would probably also take that. And uh, Kabir takedown's a card, that you're not really unhappy to take, but you're not really going to see too many of those clerics get passed unless you plant your flag in that in that, uh, in that that deck and cut it off early. So, yeah, I'm
1: happy to take that here. Now, as with the Sealed League, oh, no, I hope I don't end up in black-white. That'd be such a shame. <laughs> Man. Right. I had shed so many tears about that one. I got Vanquish the week. I got a Resolute Strike. I got a Smite. I got a Dread Worm. We'll right. totally see how that goes.
0: <laughs> All right, on to our Teferi Tybalt. If you're new to the show or haven't heard this before, Teferi Tybalt is kind of our take at Roses and Thorns, where Ben and I kind of highlight a high from our past week and a low from the past week, kind of just give you guys a little insight into what's been going on in our lives. So Ben,
1: take it away. Right. So this is my, I guess my first full week off of school, or was that last week? No, that was last week? No, that's this week? I suppose that's this week. I oh got it. It feels like a blur, but uh, I'm finally done my first year of teaching, so... That's pretty good. Uh, It was a lot. (laughs) I survived, though, and now uh, time has no meaning for me uh, until the fall. Uh, I'm going to do a lot of sitting around, play a lot of magic, see some friends I haven't seen in a while. Uh, So that's definitely a Teferi. One of those includes Zach. I actually got to see Zach in person over the weekend. We got to crack some uh, MH2. Uh, We got to go back and forth destroying each other with MH2 decks. Uh, both of which uh, were totally legitimate decks and definitely not jank that we forced. Uh, right. More on that. More on that later <laughs> in the show. But uh, then we got to hang out with some friends that night, and it was uh, an all-around good time. So just kind of getting things done too. I'm moving in, I guess, a, a month from t- the recording date, and I'm starting to set up movers and swapping, you know, services and utilities and all that stuff. Just getting things done. Then my Tibble. Oh man. So today, uh, I have spent most of my day at the car repair shop where I had my car in to get the condenser fixed because my air conditioning didn't work. Now, those of you that are in the United States right now know that we are going through a little bit of a heat wave, uh, something like, I don't know, it feels over 100 degrees every day outside. Uh, so and far that's- this
0: week, that has been the case, yeah? On the East Coast, <laughs> it's even worse on the West Coast.
1: Yeah, yeah. We've got the humidity over here on the East Coast, so I don't know. I'd prefer the dry heat, but whatever. Things out there are just straight up melting. Yeah. 105 (laughs)
0: degrees is 105 degrees. I don't care if it's humid or not. It sucks.
1: Yeah. It's pretty brutal. So driving around with no air conditioning for the last few weeks has sucked too. So it it was this whole big process. They had to go contact the claims people, but the claims people weren't like picking up. And then the one person was on hold for a while. It was funny. I got there at 10 AM. My phone died at 1 PM. I was playing some magic, you know, during my battery, out. I was listening to some podcasts, that kind of thing. And it was a, another while before uh, they ended up coming to get me to say I was done, that they'd finally gotten through the claims and all that good stuff. So it turned out by the time I actually got to my car, it was like nearly 4 p.m. And I didn't even realize it. I thought after my phone died, I thought I was there for like an hour. But I was telling Zach before the show, I think watching Dr. Phil just, just messes with time uh, <laughs> in a bizarre way. I think it's, I don't know, something, something time dilation due to the high velocity of your brain while watching CVS television. (laughs) Right. But it was, uh, it was gross. Uh, not a fun experience and my phone was dead. So I couldn't even work on the show notes. (laughs) Yeah, that's, that's a bummer. That
0: sucks. It's never, never a good thing to go through like car troubles. It's never fun, but, uh, I feel like there's always something extra on top of whatever the normal car trouble you might be having is. It's like either trying to get it fixed is an extra pain for whatever reason. That part that happened to break on your car is only made like twice a year and they Mm -hmm. are never going to be able to get it. And, you know, like all that kind of stuff. So, hey, at least you got uh, back and and they got it
1: fixed. It's true. I will say uh, I did get my revenge. This place had complimentary snacks and I just wiped them out. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. Anyway, what's up with you? Uh,
0: yeah, so for me, this week kind of marks... We're just getting into July, right? We're, we're at the end of June here. And uh, for me, that means that I need to start more seriously looking for a new apartment because my lease... So the lease I have now is technically up in September. But when I sign the lease, we got a couple of free months due to the length of the term that we signed. And so there's a, a nice little leeway we have where we're likely to be able to get an apartment before we have to move out of our current apartment, but still only pay one rent because we have one of those three months banked up. Mm-hmm. So it'll give us like a month to move basically is, is, is the goal. Um, so we'll have a lot of time to get things from one apartment to the other. Um, and uh, would be great in that regard. So my Teferi's is that apartment hunting is in full swing at the moment. We are looking pretty aggressively at different apartments. I've got one tour set up so far. Uh, next week and then um we've got a couple more in the works so you know hopefully we find something quick and um meets all of our you know checks all of our boxes and all those sorts of things apartment hunting can be pretty pretty rough um my roommate is doing the same thing his him and his girlfriend are are also apartment hunting as uh, we're all splitting and finally moving to different apartments which is going to be weird because i've lived with with, uh, my roommate mark for almost six years now yeah that's true so it's going to feel weird Yeah, it's gonna feel weird not 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 to be a, a room away from him at all times. Um, but you know, it'll be should be good. My wife and I are excited to to not have roommates. So, but my tipple is that I'm also apartment hunting. Um, you know, it can be can be rough, and uh, I can be picky. So you know, I'm just hoping that we find something quick and don't have to worry about extra moving costs like if we have all that extra time to move then it's unlikely we'll have to hire movers because we can you know every couple days just go run stuff over to the place and um, I mean, yep. yeah so we'll see how that goes all right on to our listener question of the week and this week we stumbled a little bit to pull the curtain back a little bit uh we answered all of our previously asked listener questions on last week's show and i forgot to remind everybody to ask us more for this show so Uh, What we did was we took a little bit of feedback from our survey that we did get a few responses on, and one of those questions was, or actually one of the things that was suggested that we do more frequently, was perhaps make either videos or podcast episodes, and maybe both. We'll see, you know, how this is received, but um, to talk about how we analyze new cards, how we prepare for new formats, things of this nature, um, those first couple of weeks getting into a new format where we're still learning a lot about how the environment and the, the format itself is shaping out. So expect to see some more content on that as AFR comes out. But today we're going to talk a little bit uh, about how we analyze cards and and what we do a little bit to prepare at the end of a format going into a new format. So we've got a few different things. That's one of the things we'll be talking about. We'll also be talking about some AFR spoilers and a little bit on, on Modern Horizons 2. We didn't really spend time on a full episode with that. And neither Ben nor I did really any drafting in that format. So we don't have a whole lot to say, but we did have some fun with the set this past weekend. So we'll we'll talk about that a little bit.
1: Right, so let's get right into it. How to analyze new cards. We're all seeing spoilers right now. And I want to kind of take a two-pronged approach. First, we're going to start off with the traditional analysis way of, of analyzing new cards. This is what I'd say... of Magic players do, and these are just some heuristics that Zach and I have picked up through, I guess, our experience uh, learning new cards. I personally love pre-release. I know Zach does as well. It's some of our favorite ways to play, just because it's such a uh, friendly, low-stakes environment, uh, but also with some competition sprinkled in, which sounds right up our alley. So uh, everyone's learning the cards. If somebody makes a mistake, let them take it back, whatever. But then uh, if you play, you know, best and and know the cards and use your uh kind of leverage your experience and knowledge of the game you'll come out on top and uh who doesn't like winning Uh, so it's a good place to have fun and also maybe uh score some packs or store credit or something like that so to get you all prepared for potentially some in-person pre-release events for this set uh, we want to talk about a few ways to analyze these new cards that are coming out so first up the card by itself so If you see a new card, you're like, Whoa, what's this? Let me read it. Uh, just read it, see what is immediately noteworthy about the card just by itself in a vacuum, nothing else compared to it. Sometimes mythics and alternate win cons can grab your attention and just scream, I'm playable, I'm game winning. Uh, think Questing Beast. I don't think anyone was debating <laughs> whether or not it would be, you know, playable when it was first printed, right?
0: Yeah, I mean. I don't think anybody finished reading the card before it was printed, uh, between spoiler season and when they actually got it in their hands. But, um, yeah, some cards really do just scream out at you and say like, I'm above rate. I'm, uh, giving you more than what you're paying for in this case. And questing and Beast is a perfect example of that Four mana, for all the texts in the world. And also a body that you're not upset with. It's like, what you're expecting, and then upside and upside and upside and upside. So those are the kind of things when, and as been mentioned, are typically found on mythics or these sort of build around the sort of alternate win con type cards, where they're pretty in your face about how powerful they are in most situations. Uh, sometimes those alternate win cons can have little caveats to them, but a lot of the big, big flashy bomb mythic rares are they're going to let you know that they're they're playable.
1: Yeah. So unless the context of the set is just very bizarre. Usually if you see something Baneslayer-esque, you can say, okay, this is probably going to be pretty good. Good to keep that in the back of my head. Uh, If my opponent plays one in game one, maybe uh, consider saving removal for it in game two, that type of thing. Just know that there are bombs in the set and those are going to be there. So the second kind of level up, that was the card by itself. Well, how about compared to similar cards? Uh, You can see a card and say, well, is this card similar to anything that I already know about? Is it a combination of several existing cards? So Saffron Olive does a great job of this in his spoiler discussion videos. Whenever there's a new Planeswalker spoiled, he what he does is specifically looks at each uh, loyalty ability and compares it to a card to kind of gauge the mana worth of that card. So... For example, if the if a Planeswalker has like a, a minus two that makes two 1-1 one one tokens, you would say, oh, well, that's like raise the alarm. Raise the alarm is usually worth around two mana. Let's see how good that really is or something like that. So uh, that's one way of analyzing these new cards. For example, uh, if you see a, a creature, you could go and compare it to other similar creatures. There's a new white dragon, the name of which I don't even remember yet. It's like...
0: Icing Death, yeah.
1: I, yeah, Icing Death? Tasty. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, icing Death? Uh, it's a 4, it's a, sorry, it's 2 white white for a 4-3 with flying and vigilance. And then it has some nonsense about dying into an equipment or whatever. Uh, but there are other creatures with that, that, right? There's, yeah. uh, thinking way back, uh, there was uh, Gisela, Blade of Gold knight yes. or No, that's the, no, hold on. That's the, that's the good one. I'm talking about the Eldrazi-fied one. The, it was a 4-mana four 4-3 four, with uh, flying, I think that one had... Uh, Life Link and First Strike rather than Vigilance, but it was a solid playable. Any kind of four mana, four power flyer is going to be pretty good. Another more recent one uh, is Legion Angel, uh, of course, from uh, ZNR, which has spent quite a bit of time in my sideboards. I I love playing that in my mono white standard decks. So I don't know if you see a card with some stats, think about how it compares to other similar cards. Uh, Especially when you're talking about the common limited archetypes. So, for example, the white combat trick or the common blue counterspell with the ability of the set tacked on. Think about how good those tend to be and then think about, well, uh, does this seem better or worse than, say, I don't know, straight up uh, dissolve or something like that. Right, and
0: at the moment, we're looking at individual cards, comparing them to other individual cards from previous formats, and we've we've talked about this on the show a few times, we've seen recently that they've been, uh, WotC's been very, very ready to print a cheap creature in blue that has flash, and when it ETBs, it gives minus one or minus two power to some creature. Right. Right, we had Burrog Befuddler, we had Zillaport Duel- Duelist, uh, there was one in Kaldheim, which the name escapes me at the moment, um, but... We had we've had them like that. That's been something we've seen pretty much every set for the last year, and mm. so I'm expecting we'll probably see one like that in in Afr as well. And so you can kind of think uh, it, that you can take that and move it a step further. And instead of just looking at those cards in a vacuum, when you see a card that fits an archetype that you are co- are familiar with, something that is like, oh, this is the as Ben mentioned, maybe the blue commons counterspell for this set. It's something that we see a lot and we're used to seeing them. How good was this? The last time I saw it. And then you can kind of take uh, the format that you found it in into context and say, well, it was good in this particular format. And why was it good there? Well, that format was really slow. So counterspells were actually pretty decent. Okay. Is this now, as I'm seeing new cards come out for this new format, as they're being spoiled, kind of take stock and think, is this going to, is this shaping up to be a slower format? Maybe this counterspell will actually be decent. And you can kind of adjust your, your card evaluations that way as well by taking old format knowledge and trying to apply it to the new format as you see all these new cards coming out.
1: Right, so the next thing you can do is analyze the card within the context of the set. So how will this card fare in the limited meta of this specific set? Uh, It's a good idea to see how power and toughness align because this requires you to know the meta of the set, which is really hard to gauge before uh, actually playing it. Sometimes you can get hints though, just from looking at the cards. So I like to look at power and toughness of creatures. Just shut up looking at what the power and toughness are of uh, cards in the set and seeing what it tends to be. If every single card in the set has higher power than toughness, it might be kind of aggressive. Things might want to be attacking. These cards might be at best when they are attacking. If everything has more toughness than power, well, then these cards might be best when they are being defensive and you might have to find other ways to leverage to get in damage or win the game. So, for example, in Ixalan... uh, Sun Crested Terran, that was the five mana, two five flyer, and it had vigilance if you had another dinosaur. Uh, it could block nearly every creature in the format, and most of them it would eat. So, this led to the entire archetype of blue white kind of being dedicated to big butts, controlling the board, uh, preventing you from dying, and then eventually drawing into your finisher, whatever it was. So By looking for similar stats to that, we could kind of gauge, well, maybe this format will also allow me to do something similar. And spoiler alert, I'm kind of seeing that. Uh, More on that later when we talk about specific cards. But another way that you can do this is with two drops. The two drops in a format are pretty important to see. Well, is this format full of two drops that are going to kill me in three turns? Or are the two drops kind of just two mana two twos? So, uh, for example, in Amonkhet... I would I would bet good money that the average power of two drops attacking on turn three was usually above two. Like on average, their power was probably, you know, 2.2 2 or something like that. But then in some slower sets, uh, maybe, I don't know, Kaldheim, I would wager that the average attacking two drop had closer to under two power. Uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm running some numbers in my head. I'd have to actually crunch these to find out. But uh, I have a funny feeling that, uh, this set, I don't know. Uh, have Without knowing all the two drops yet, it's hard to say. But once they come out, maybe we can start looking at that. A set with a lot of like two mana three ones will tend to be a little bit more aggressive.
0: Yeah, for sure. And that kind of le- le- leads into sort of what you're talking about with um, higher power versus higher toughness, things like that. But two drops are so pivotal because of that timing aspect. Uh, turn two is very important in limited games if you are seeing tons of powerful two drops come down that are that are going to hurt you really quickly and you don't have good two drops that are going to defend you're going to start taking a lot of damage really quickly and uh you'll have you'll be on the back foot much much faster than than in a format where your two drops are kind of heavier on the back side and and not really not really getting in the red zone too often
1: mm-hmm. thinking back to dominaria a lot of the the red two drops were jokes uh and you could reasonably without red there to kind of be the fun police uh, from one of the, the games that I remember of Dominaria, you could often start your curve on turn three without worrying too much. And sometimes you were starting your curve with like a vanilla 2 3 or something. Shout out yeah. to you, uh, what was it? Tolarian Wizard, Tolarian Scholar, something like that. But yeah. uh, so once you know the set's context, then you can start to analyze the cards a little better. Now, just one little note. Um, you should also analyze the card within the context of the format if you're interested in Constructed. This doesn't matter too much for, for Limited, but right now a good example of that is uh, does this new card pass the Bone Crusher test? Mm-hmm. Does it have two toughness? And, God, they printed like a mythic 5-2 dragon with all these other abilities, and, and all I'm thinking is like, that thing dies to Bone Crusher, doesn't it? Eldrain doesn't rotate out with this set, really, does, does it? does. It does. Oh, it does? Oh, thank Fairly God. so It does. I'm not a big constructed
0: player, but I'm fairly certain it's rotating. Yeah,
1: I'll be honest. I haven't touched standard in weeks. I think today was the first time I I wanted to. Limited has just been so good recently. I've been just wanting to come back to Strixhaven or this new cube or Dominaria flashback. I I haven't really wanted to just (laughs) jam a bunch of dumb adventure creatures. Look, it was fun for a while. I played my fair share of, of Teamer Clover but that was like two years ago. I got sick of it back then. Uh, I'm ready for rotation, and I'm honestly pretty excited to see what comes next for Standard. But anyway, that's just a little small note. Uh, think about what the most played spells in Standard are, or Modern, or whatever format you're interested in, and see how the cards fare against those most played spells. Yeah,
0: there are also a few other things you can do to kind of ease into learning a new set. Uh, one thing that's very important early on is to learn what th- things your opponents can be doing at instant speed learn the combat tricks, learn what cards have flash. These things will save you big time in games early on in the format when your opponents aren't already memorizing those things. So, uh, you know, maybe it's keeping up a list. There's usually, and I I honestly can't remember the user who tends to post these, but there is an individual, at least on Reddit and Twitter, who uh, tends to post um all-in-one graphics of, like, the instant speed threats, whether they're flash or, mm. or combat tricks or thing, c- c- counter spells even. Um, also learn all the common removal spells. and I mean, you say common specifically because those are the obviously the most common ones that you'll run into, but it doesn't hurt to know all the uncommon ones in rares as well. But definitely learn the commons. Those will help a lot. And also take advantage of the, the time spacing between spoilers. You know, they only release so many cards a day, so take advantage of that to learn... The cards themselves uh as as are coming in small chunks rather than you know waiting until the full set's out sometimes that can be a little overwhelming to to try to learn the entire set at one time so
1: maybe take advantage of that that spacing right now on to the second method of card analysis vector theory you know i gotta shout out vector theory here it is uh i want to say becoming our thing and i'm excited to get back into it so i think this is <laughs> what uh, well i said before 99 percent of players would use the other way i think uh now naming this vector theory, we can spearhead the 1% percent. They're gonna that are going to uh, do this. Well, it's nice to be part of the 1% for once. Uh, <laughs> so uh, I'd say something that I'm going to start doing now that we have vector theory and we have these new cards, as they've been spoiled, I've been asking myself, what is this card's vector? So when this card is at its best, when this card is broken, when you're playing this and you feel like you're getting away with something, what does your deck look like? What does your board state look like? Uh to make best use of this. What direction is it? And then, of course, how good is it in that direction? So let's take a look at a few of the spoilers that we've seen so far. First of all, uh, I want to take a look at Shesra Death's Whisper. This is two black green for a 1-3. It's a legendary human elf warlock. So what's that, a half elf? Half elf, yeah. So Zach knows much more about D&D than I do. So he's going to be spearheading the, the flavor town for for this go around, well, I I'm think. i Now, this isn't uncommon, so it looks like we're getting another set full of uncommon legends, which, honestly, this has been a good change. I've liked that they've been doing this, printing these signpost uncommon legends. Fun for commander, fun for uh, brawl, I suppose, (laughs) and uh, fun for gameplay. So this is a 4-mana 1-3, and it's a legend. So already I'm a little bit scared, but let's read it out. So it has bewitching whispers, which, uh, this is italicized text, but that's just for flavor, it seems. Yeah, essentially, what they're doing in AFR is
0: anytime a, a creature or a, a, an artifact or an enchantment or basically any spell at all in the entire format has some sort of ability, they're giving them names to kind of more or less say rather than tell, say rather than show the flavor of the ability they're trying to get off. So mm-hmm. in this case, yeah, Bewitching Whispers is sort of that italicized flavor name for the ability which i kind of like because it lets you shortcut you know what you're saying if you're like playing in paper you can say like uh you know these aren't activated actually so uh on this card it's kind of not a great example of that but there are some that have activated abilities that are um you know there are a couple of instants that are modal that you know you choose one of the two options and it'll be really nice to be able to say like oh, i open the, th- the left door and like you, your opponent knows what you're
1: talking about and that's like the ability right so I are these like D&D spells like is bewitching whispers an actual spell from D&D
0: as far as I know bewitching whispers is not but a lot of them in the format like a lot of the the words they've decided to use as names are spells or otherwise actions that like a player might take with their character or something yeah yeah that's
1: sick so bewitching whispers when shesra death's whisper enters the battlefield target creature blocks this turn if able and then she also has Whispers of the Grave. At the beginning of your end step, if a creature died this turn, you may pay two life if you do draw a card. Sweet.
0: Yeah, so let's think great.
1: about the ideal way to play this. I'm thinking you want to curve out something like a, a three mana, three, three into this. So you you have your three mana, three, three, you untap, you play Shesra, you attack, uh, you, you say maybe target their like three drop. Maybe it's a two, three or something. Uh, they're forced to block your three mana three, three, and then you pay two life and draw a card. See, you forced, you kind of, uh, destroyed one of your opponent's creatures. Granted, you, you do have to pair this with a larger creature in order for that to happen, but in that way, it's kind of like a ravenous Chupacabra.
0: A little bit. It's a build and your then, own ravenous Chupacabra, sure.
1: Right. And then you can pay two life and draw a card and you can, and then that's not just this turn. That's any turn. Uh, at the beginning of your end step, if a creature die this turn, you may pay two life if you do draw a card. You can't do that forever. You might want some life gain to to offset that. But what kind of deck would you you want to have this in?
0: yeah so also one one more thing to just kind of note about that uh, that whispers of the grave ability uh it is anytime a creature it's at your end step but it's if a creature died so it's opponents Mm. creatures or your own uh nice little bit of insurance i guess if you happen to to you know get a block in like you mentioned maybe a two three blocking a three three and they happen to have a pump spell and your creature dies you're at least still given the ability to pay that life and draw the card so that's pretty nice uh and anytime you know your opponent's using like sacrifice effects or something like that you can still take advantage of that your own sacrifice effects you can take advantage of so that's part of where i'd see this deck maybe if there is some sort of sacrifice reanimate kind of sub theme it'd be kind of cool to Mm. to be able to slide this in there um i would like to see if this green black color pair has any amount of readily available death touchers because that pairs really well with her top ability yeah Uh, any kind of big creatures that are cheap but maybe have other downsides or something that we can leverage that top ability for. Anything that lets us make sure that we are getting a creature dead with her topper built ability is where I'm looking to see this. So I'm feeling it's probably a slightly aggressive build, uh, the Golgari, in, in some respects, because we want those bigger creatures early, or they're going to be a lot of death touch.
1: Mm, death touch would be sick. Yeah, so oh so probably God. mid-rangey because
0: I mean 3 power for 3 mana is pretty much what you expect to see. So we're going to see I would expect probably some mid-rangey stuff and hopefully some reanimator stuff.
1: Mm. Agreed. I think this this card screams cab's theory. Cards that affect the board state, right? Uh, although it does pair kind of well with combat tricks uh, given that I don't know if your opponent knows this is coming, they might leave a blocker back to be ready and then you can kind of get them with this. So seems cool to me. Next up, Air Cult Elemental. This is 4 blue blue for a 2-5 Flying Elemental. This Whirlwind, when Air Cult Elemental enters the battlefield, return up to one other target creature to its owner's hand. It's a pretty big mana war, but it does not pass the vanilla test.
0: No, not at all. 6 mana for a 2-5 flyer is, yeah, not really where you want to be. It's nice that it attaches that little bit of tempo. You do get to bounce things. Uh, you also can bounce your own stuff if you have enter the battlefield effects to rebuy so maybe there's some form of weird baby blink or something going on i would doubt that that's actually where they're headed with this but that's an option um it is a common so i wouldn't expect a card like this to be terribly powerful uh two five does tell me that we're going to be able to be blocking some things pretty readily and it is a flyer which is big like having having a big big butt flyer in the air is is great to keep you from dying against any aggressive flyers this kind of is that Pterodon you were you were mentioning, but it is more expensive and, you know, doesn't have quite the same abilities in effect, but maybe this will matter. I mean, the, the tempo could be huge, so this seems like it's going to want to be in a control deck that's doing its slow thing, maybe a green-blue deck that can ramp to get it mm-hmm. out a little earlier than turn six. I won't expect to see this, though, in many decks. It doesn't seem that great, uh, but, the you know, the tempo is tempo, and I, I just think six mana is a little much for this.
1: Yeah, six mana is quite a bit, but if the format happens to be slow enough then this might be just the stabilizer you need. I mean, I can imagine a lot of board states where this would just come down and immediately stabilize you. Right? Like yes. maybe bounce their bounce their uh, one 4-4 four, four flyer, and then the left like a 2-2 two, two flyer and some ground creatures that you already had locked up. This is really good at keeping you alive. So this pairs with other things that would extend you into the late game. Maybe if you're trying to get through that one last dungeon and you really need that, the 4-4 four, four at the end. This will buy you at least a turn, uh, if not more. So it is expensive. I do think this is probably going to be pretty good, though, if the Foreman happens to be slow enough. I guess we'll come back to that and, and see how it is. But look, Mana War is a good card, Adding a mana war onto a huge flying body, it's something to keep an eye out for. Next card is Shortcut Seeker. This is three and a blue. It is a 2-5 human rogue. Whenever Shortcut Seeker deals combat damage to a player, venture into the dungeon.
0: Yeah, so venture into the dungeon is a new ability, I want to say. It's a new bit of rules text that enables you to enter, enter the first room or advance to the next room of a dungeon. If you're not familiar with dungeons, we aren't covering them quite in this show, but definitely look to our format breakdown in, in, I think next week, uh, where we will, uh, kind of break down more about what those are. It's a valuable ability from what we've seen, uh, hard to tell how much, you know, kind of to use that saffron olive, uh, sort of telemetry that you were mentioning hard to tell how much to value this at from a mana perspective, because the first room of every, every available dungeon is like either gain one life or your opponent loses one life or you scry one. I think we're the three options. Mm-hmm. So the first venture into the dungeon card, you can read as either one of those three things, which isn't amazing. I mean, this is a four mana two five, which is doing the air cult elemental thing pretty well. I mean, it's going to stabilize you. And this is much more where I'd want to see the, the mana cost on a card like this. Uh, it's a body that's going to come down early enough to be relevant. Not having flying might be a problem. So we'll see. But, uh, venturing into the dungeon and it's weird because this is a this is a card where and we've seen them do this a lot like designers for magic cards tend to do this frequently but it's a card that's defensively statted that wants to be attacking because its effect only triggers when it deals combat damage to a player that makes me a little nervous i would look for ways to maybe try to force this through but most of the time i expect this is not gonna be doing the thing right right this is gonna be a two five that sits back and blocks most of the time
1: yeah, it is a good blocker. I can imagine a board with like a few of these on either side and people just waiting and waiting for things to happen. So I guess this is where we have to turn a little bit to set context. I noticed a, an unblockable theme in blue. Mm-hmm. I think I saw two or three cards that involve not being able to block a certain creature. So who knows? Uh, who knows how this will end up faring with that? Now, like you mentioned, this card does want to deal combat kind of damage to players, but that means your four drop is getting in for two damage right it's a little strange like you're going to be getting to do the dungeon thing in that case rather than killing him with damage if this is just a format of 4-4 you would just straight up kill your opponent right long before you get to do any kind of dungeon stuff but yeah. who knows maybe it sounds like blue wants to be doing the dungeon thing uh, venturing over and over again maybe multiple times each turn if you can give this unblockable somehow or evasion repeatedly this is a way to kind of Sweep through a dungeon uh, pretty reliably, and it, it is you did take a little bit of risk while blocking this. If you put say like a bunch of blockers in front of it to uh, to try to like double block it down, you're opening yourself up for a combat trick. Right? So this thing does pair well with combat tricks because people will either try to block it with like a their own two four, and then you can pump and, and take out their creature or they might try to go for like a mass block like I said uh, and then try to trade for it in which case you can maybe get a, a nice two for one or even better so I don't know uh, I think this is indicative of a slightly slower format just look at these three cards that I happen to pick one three two five two five now this last one is a bit of a, a departure from that this is Targnar Demon Fang What what exactly is a knoll? is it a gnome troll because
0: no that's kind of what it uh, looks like Gnolls are a sort of, you can think of them like um, almost werewolves in that they're big, hairy, bipedal, sort of four-legged. I mean, they have arms, but they, they run on four legs sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're, they're they're goblin-esque, like big, hairy hobgoblins or something. It's a terrible explanation of them, but that's the best approximation I can give you without actually memorizing like background information on them.
1: Fair enough. But this is red green for a two-two legendary creature. It's a knoll. It has pack tactics uh, sorry, pack tactics, which I have noticed does show up multiple times on other cards. And I think it all has similar effects. Uh whenever Targnar Demon Fang gnoll attacks, if you attack with creatures with total power six or greater this combat, that's like the pack tactics text from what I noticed. Yes. Attacking creatures get plus one plus oh, until end of turn. And it also has two red-green as an activated ability. Double Targonar's power and toughness until end of turn. This is a you know, pretty nice two-drop, but it still attacks as a two-drop for the first several turns of the game. At least the first uh, the first turn on turn three, you attack with it, probably on turn four as well. And then maybe turn five, it's attacking for with greater than two power. I mean, you do have that activated ability, which does prevent blocks, which means it's probably going to be getting in. But again, this is just going to be getting in for two the first several turns. Compare this to like, I don't know, Gustwalker uh, from back in Amonkhet. That was the, uh, what was it? Let me see here. Two mana, two, one. And when you exert it, which means you tap and it doesn't untap in your next untap step, it gets plus one, plus two and gains flying until end of turn. So this was kind of like a two mana, two power creature that when you needed it to be, it was a three power creature. And that was, you know, pretty common. It turned out just being able to get that evasion was really important. And having that third power was crucial for ending the game against people that might be trying to stabilize. This thing, it doesn't have that ability to buff itself right away. And having it be an activated ability is much weaker. So if you just told me I wanted to play a shit-up aggressive limited deck... I would take the one with a bunch of Gustwalkers over the one with a bunch of Targnars, right? Uh, given the context of this format, it seems like, well, look how how this matches up against Shortcut Seeker. Not great, right?
0: Yeah, well, so when I read this card, and to kind of go back to the way we evaluate cards, my first thought was Reckless Amplomancer. That's the most recent version of a similar effect we've seen, right? That was a yeah. I believe that was a 2-mana two 2-2 two, two, that you could pay 4-mana to pump it. Uh, double, five, its, it was same five, thing. double its power and toughness now this targnar imagine you play targnar on two you're probably playing another creature on three and then on four maybe you want to pump targnar mm-hmm. uh, but i just played a shortcut seeker even if you pump the targnar it's not going to kill the shortcut seeker unless you happen to have another creature around to get the pack tactics trigger right so that feels kind of bad but it is getting a lot of it's getting a lot of of uh steam i guess out of your two drop like you're getting a decent amount of value out of your two drop though by then you've invested six mana and you're only dealing with my four drop so that doesn't feel great
1: yeah this feels like it would be best well let's again consider its vector this really wants to hit that power six as fast as possible for that lord ability which is definitely strong that's pretty powerful and it could be even better when combined with stuff like pump spells or uh larger beefier creatures but I'm I'm starting to dig into the vector analysis of the set at this point. seems like a lot of these cards want to be going a little slower. So it'll depend on just what kind of support this thing can get. If it can get this uh, pack that it seems to want in, in order to... Uh, really get in there and and close up the game quick before people start doing these busted dungeon things. I mean, this thing—I uh, don't know too much about Knolls, but it doesn't look very interested in exploration or, uh, I don't know, discovering ancient artifacts. It looks like it's gonna kill me.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean that's that's pretty typical for Knowles. Um, They—it's also worth mentioning these pack tactics cards do really well together. Anytime, oh, yeah. anytime you're doing a lot of them, I should say. I, I, from what we still haven't seen probably even half the set yet, so take this with a grain of salt. We'll talk about it more in our format breakdown. But it seems that a lot of these pack tactics cards do things globally. They hit all of your creatures when they trigger their effect. So if you have this, another pack tactics creature that's giving, like, I don't know, some form of evasion, or maybe another plus one plus O, oh, uh, maybe trample, something like that, you're suddenly turning on your whole board pretty quickly, and that's going to be a great way to kind of do the you know, it kind of reminds me a little bit of some of the Lorehold decks we've seen where they hit you like maybe for two or three damage over the course of the first four turns. And then suddenly their ampl- their Lumenmancer is like a 20-20 and you're like, oh, I'm dead.
1: Yeah, you could even play two Targonars and then get both. The-
0: no, nope, can't do that. It's legendary. No, you, should,
1: you should try it. Uh, anyway, funnily enough, um, if you play a, a Tarrasque, that will uh, trigger pack tactics. Right, It's true. It will do that. Yeah. I don't know if it's that much better than Targetor though.
0: <laughs> well, we'll get to that when we get to that.
1: Well, that's right now. Let's talk about it. So, Anyway, just wrapping it up. Um, use vectors as you start to see these new cards. Think about what these cards have their best home in and uh, post about it in Discord. The spoiler yeah. channel is uh, firing on full cylinders right now. Anyway, we, we next wanted to talk about some of our other favorite spoilers from the set. So let's just kind of bounce around. What are some things that you like from the set so far?
0: Definitely have been enjoying the way they handled the flavor of a lot of the creatures. It's it's a mixed bag for me because there are a lot of creatures that I was like, oh, they hit the nail on the head with this one. And there are a lot where I was like, uh, this is underwhelming or this is different than I expected. I will say hats off for the dragon cycle. Every color gets a dragon. And in, yeah. in, uh, in D&D, there is a cycle of two different types of dragons. There are chromatic dragons, which are Based on a particular color. And then there are metallic dragons, which are based on a metal. And each of the chromatic and metallic dragons have counterparts. The chromatic dragons are typically evil aligned, whereas the metallic dragons hmm. are typically good aligned. Um, in any case, Weird. I think from what I've seen, they're all, all the chromatics so far have been dragons. They've been flying four fours, but they also all have an effect. And each in d each dragon has a specific type of breath weapon. Uh, so, green dragons, for instance, have poison breath, black dragons have an acid breath, red dragons have a fire breath, things like that. So they've given some names to the abilities to kind of make those make sense within the context of, of magic. For instance, the green dragon here is a a six mana, four, four flyer with poison breath, which says when green dragon enters the battlefield until end of turn, whenever a creature an opponent controls is dealt damage, destroy it. So that that feels pretty poison-y, you know, you're hitting it with the thing and then it dies after the fact. Like, that, that feels that feels like it, it hits home. Um, I kind of like that they're naming all the creatures just the name of the creature. They didn't try to, like, give it a weird different name. It's like this card is just called yeah. Green Dragon, which I think makes a lot of sense, and I kind of like that. The where I don't like this as, like, a flavor thing is what they've done with a lot of instants and sorceries. What they've done is the names of the cards reflect a bit of exposition that your DM might give you. You're not a fan of that? I don't like it because I I, I like it from, like, their attempt to do it, right? It, it I like that they tried. My problem is it feels weird in the context of I'm casting this spell and I'm targeting this thing with it. Normally, we would say I'm going to Doomblade that creature, right? Yeah. In this case, I have to say I'm going to you found the villain's lair, this creature oh my and that wee just wee feels wee woo. grammar police <laughs> that fa- that it just feels weird and i i don't like that but i do like that they tried and they're implement like they, they actually found a way to get that part of the game that part of D D, into magic because that is a huge part of of D. like the dms instructions and exposition and storytelling and everything is huge those cards also all have choices on them which feels awesome like almost all of them are modals because oh yeah. it's like you've gotten to this point now what are you going to do And that's usually how DMing works. It's like you you tell the characters that's here. This is where you find yourselves. Now what? Like you determine what your character does and how you're going to affect the story from here on out. So I I do really like that. I just think that it feels weird within the context of magic for the naming conventions.
1: Uh, I think it's pretty silly. It's pretty fun. They've been doing this for a little bit. Think to uh, to Eldream, where they had they had so tiny and they had didn't say please, which I thought were just pretty comedic inclusions, sure sure
0: but it, in those set in those those instances right i can say now your creature's so tiny or no you didn't say yeah. please like those those kind of work i feel like if just saying like you found the villain's lair i maybe it'll work maybe once we see the rest of the set it'll actually make sense and it'll work and when i know the effects of the cards better it's gonna actually work but i
1: don't know when i read them at
0: first yeah. i was like that feels weird
1: Eh, save it for flavor town, dude. I think it'll be <laughs> fine. <laughs> but yeah, I like the green dragon a lot. That's one that I put in as one of my favorites. So I didn't know that so let me get this straight. The the color aligned dragons are all just evil. Yeah. But then the metallic ones, which I don't think are are, are they would they be considered uh like artifact creatures or are they still like creatures?
0: No, they're still creatures. They just have they just have scales that resemble a metal in color. Oh. Um, interesting.
1: I, I we saw the adult gold dragon, indeed. which has been a pretty interesting one. In fact, one of my tweets about it has taken off. Uh, oh, <laughs> I haven't bit. seen that. Uh, it was a reply to one of Saffron but Oh, I did see uh, that. I, I didn't realize that it took off. Yeah, it's uh, moderately. I'm basically famous. I got to go, actually. I got to. <laughs> uh, something about. Uh, they want me to, to, like, put my handprint on, like, the Hollywood Walk of Fame or something like that. Uh, I not yeah, know. sure. <laughs> but for getting them 30 likes on a tweet about a magic card. Anyway, it's a, what was that one? Three red-white for a four-three flying vigilance haste. Oh, no, sorry. Flying lifelink haste, I believe I that's the case, yes. Um, cool card, but, I mean, it's a five-mana creature that dies to bolt, or bolt similar abilities, I guess, rip-apart.
0: Yeah, it's a little no, underwhelming. That's another... So this kind of segues into something... I mentioned some parts of the flavor aspects of, of D&D that they brought to the game that I really like. That card kind of starts to segue into ver- uh, an area that I don't like, and that is there is a bit of a problem with Magic in that, uh, as it pertains to correlating with D&D, mm-hmm. in that there are a lot of ways that the game can be unbalanced in, in MTG. If you make a creature too high power, or you give it too many abilities, it either has to be ridiculously expensive so it, it is fair to be casted when it can be casted, or it's incredibly overpowered and shouldn't be printed, right?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: In D&D, there's no such power gap ceiling sort of situation. There's no such balancing act. If you're too weak to fight a thing, you have to go get more powerful before you can go fight the thing. And that means you divert the story in some way, shape, or form Maybe your characters come close to dying. Some characters might actually die when they fight this thing, and then maybe the villain takes mm-hmm. off and does some other thing. In the context of D and D, dragons are some of the more power, some of the more powerful entities. They're definitely defeatable by by adventuring parties, but gold dragons in particular are among the most powerful of them. And one way that D and D differentiates power level between dragons in particular is age. You'll have, like, a regular green dragon, and then you'll have also a young green dragon, or a whelp green dragon, or something like that, or an adult green Mm. dragon, or an ancient green dragon, and that kind of gives, you know, a way to kind of specify the power level of these things, so an adult green dragon, or, sorry, an adult gold dragon should be more powerful than a green dragon, like, it just should, and it's not really in this case.
1: Interesting. So you would like to see like all the adult dragons be a bit better than all the conventional dragons. And then I assume we'll be getting some babies or something like that. Those should all be smaller than the normal ones.
0: Yeah. I mean, that would, that would make sense. That's at least how, it, how it is in D and D. So I would have expected them to translate that. Well, maybe we'll find out that's the case. And the adult green, the adult gold dragon actually is better up, but it just doesn't feel like It's going to be. And that that's a little bothersome. And that, that, the the card that I saw first that kind of tipped me off to this potentially being a problem for this set for those who are diehard DD fans. And I wouldn't call myself that, but I, I do quite enjoy the game. The Tarask. Tarask is a creature in DD that has a lot of power. It's not necessarily the most like overwhelming or like completely ridiculous creature in the game. There are certainly more intelligent things that you can fight but it's a big dumb i mean it's not actually dumb it's uh, it, by by DD standards it is still quite smart of a creature but it has a ton of abilities that involve like being able to deal double damage to structures uh, being able to swallow players um, negating magic which it, they they fit into this card a bit they did let it fight creatures when it attacks so you kind of get the the double aspect double damage aspect in it does have ward if you cast it so it can kind of block magic effects in some way, shape, or form. It's a big creature. It's a 10-10. So by magic standards, it is a big creature. But it feels really underwhelming. So it's not necessarily that they translated it poorly. It just feels underwhelming for a creature that's like near the epitome of like things that adventuring parties can take down within the, the scope of a campaign. So I don't know. I just feel like they could have done better. And, and that feels bad. And like one card that I really like... From a magic perspective, but again, kind of don't like from a and D perspective is dragon turtle. Dragon turtles are also creatures that are supposed to be relatively difficult to take down, very intelligent, uh, large. Um, you can see even in the art of that card, it's it's far bigger than the ship that it's attacking overall. Like think think like uh, lion turtles from Avatar, like they're massive, very intelligent beings. Mm-hmm. A lot of dragon turtles are very greedy, so they they attack uh, they attack ships pretty frequently. But this is a three mana three five, which. In magic terms, it's like, what the heck, a 3-mana three 3-5? Three this one also has flash. And it has a cool ability in that it taps itself and a, another creature and they don't untap. So it's like kind of giving you a drawback because you're thinking 3-mana three 3-5, three three it has to have some kind of downside. And it's got flash, so that's an upside. So it's got to have some, some downside. And I like the way they've designed this from a magic perspective, but it doesn't feel like a dragon turtle to me.
1: Yeah, I, like I said, I'm the d d expert. These designs feel fine to me but I, I can definitely see why a lot of them are not quite measuring up I guess that they really had to include a lot of these bigger more fantastical things and somewhere along their gradient of like not powerful to powerful they wanted to include more dnd powerful things than some probably some of those had to get scaled down relatively into the magic mid power zone to be able to be included at all otherwise everything would just be like random peasants and adventurers running around, and then a few mythic dragons up at the top. So uh, from the non-expert perspective, I'd say it's fine, but I don't know, from what I've heard about the Tarasque, it's like an Eldrazi level threat. And this thing, I don't know, it dies to a 1-1 death touch. Yeah, I think that's part of the problem. Like, I don't know that I
0: would say it's necessarily an Eldrazi level threat, but it's extremely powerful and like a level one player character is not able to take down even a party of player one player level one player characters can't take down a tarask a party of level eight or nine player characters generally can't take down a tarask and for those who aren't familiar eight or nine is kind of like the mid to late point of a lot of campaigns like you max out at level 20 but it's a lot of a lot of campaigns don't make it to level 20 Mm. um by level nine or ten you're like starting to hit some pretty you're you're starting to hit your stride as far as your character's power level and like a lot of a lot of player Like, adventuring parties can't take down a Tarask at that point. So the fact that this dies to, like, silly stuff, like you said, kind of feels awful.
1: Well, anyway, on to some of the more uh, uplifting things. It looks like they brought back equipment, uh, specifically uh, red-white equipment. Some of them we've seen don't have the snap uh, attachment, but some of them, it seems that they do. When they etv, they attach to a creature, which I really loved from Zendikar Rising. So we've got Dueling Rapier. It's a one red mana, just one red. It's a, an equipment. It has flash. When it enters the battlefield, attached to target creature you control. Equipped creature gets plus two, plus oh, and it has equipped four. Sweet. Yeah.
0: Seems seems pretty solid. That's
1: another aspect that there's like
0: some really cool things and some really not so cool things. This one is a, a, you know, a dueling rapier. The effect is great from a magic perspective. Like a one mana combat trick that sticks around is pretty great. Um, but then you see a card. There's a card called plus two, I think it's plus two mace. Yeah, And in d and a plus two weapon is a huge, it's a huge upgrade. In magic, it gives your creature plus two, plus two, which is like, sure,
1: I guess. So <laughs> yeah, just right. like, Not everything will translate perfectly. It's just unfortunate because
0: I feel like they, they took liberties with cards they shouldn't have, like the dueling rapier, like just a plain rapier in, in D&D isn't all that amazing. I don't know how you make this much worse to give it the effect to, to make the plus two mace feel better. Mm-hmm. but i think they took they took strength liberties with cards they shouldn't have and then had to dial it back on other cards they shouldn't have I, I don't know
1: let's talk about treasure chest so this is a three mana artifact that i just think is the funniest thing yeah so you pay for sacrifice treasure chest roll a d20 so we've got a whole bunch of things going on here first of all treasure chest i assume those are all over the place in d d right i mean that's that's
0: the game right the whole the whole premise of D is you're going through this story you've got a party of characters who are up to shenanigans and you're doing things for maybe your town that you walk through or whatever but at the end of the day you want some loot like that's what that's what you're after you want some money
1: you want some loot so yeah i mean the treasure chests are all over the place now we've got a D20, and I saw this caused a whole controversy on Magic Twitter, too. D20s come in a few different types. They come in the randomized ones, which I think D&D players tend to use. And then they come in the spin-down form, which you know Magic gives out during pre-release kits and that kind of thing. And I heard for this one they're actually giving out non-spin-down ones in Correct. kits, uh, the, the normal ones. People will say that... I don't know if you're like good, you can get a spin down to roll a certain way or that because of the indentations in the sides, they're perfectly weighted. But I saw other people saying that only casinos have perfectly exactly weighted dice, so it doesn't actually matter too much. I don't know. I've always just used my spin downs as like a rolling thing if I needed it for whatever purpose. Right.
0: Yeah. So I actually saw a post by Frank Karsten discussing this. Oh boy. Brought he the big guns. One, exactly. He is one who I will take his word to the bank when it comes to probabilities and statistical outcomes. True. What he said was that the spin down D twenties are not st- statistically significantly weighted in any other way. Like a, to start off D twenties are not like weighted from the factor. Obviously they have a weight to them, but they are not intentionally weighted in any capacity they're made out of resin however the resin is weighted is how they're weighted most companies maybe maybe like commercial companies that make them do weight them in a certain way but like there are plenty of people who make their own dice those are not weighted in any particular fashion the d20s we're getting in typical pre-release sets not weighted in any particular fashion the difference is the numbers are in sequential order rather than randomized around the, the die long story short frank carson said that a uh Spin down D20 isn't significantly different if you actually roll it. A lot of folks will just drop a die, a, a D20, when playing D&D, and because the numbers on it are actually randomized, it it is still a relatively random outcome. Whereas with a spin down, if you just drop the die, there's a far greater chance that you will land on a higher number or lower number depending on how you were holding it when you dropped it. Uh, but if you actually like roll them, there's no real statistical significant difference.
1: Nice. So I've got here in my hand a giant foam squeezy ball D20. Uh, as you can see, uh, Zach is seeing this right now. It's it's for, you know, uh, when you crit fail and you've really just got to, like, let out a bunch of rage. Uh, it is a spin down, so I'll have to make sure that I <laughs> roll it properly. So long story short, use it every one But back to the card. Uh, it has pay four mana, generic, uh, sacrifice treasure chest, roll a D20. So then it has these kind of... Uh, outcome determinations based on what you roll so if you roll a one it says trapped which is hilarious you lose three life so that's the equivalent of the the critical fail if you roll a d20 you just get super screwed you roll a one in D, from what i know something bad happens so if you try to like i don't know roll to slice a dragon's neck off you and you roll a one you'll instead like trip over a rock and like impale yourself or something like that right yeah, it depends on the DM. Some DMs are more lenient with
0: with natural ones than others are. Um some some DMs will make like you roll a natural 1 when you're when you're rolling an attack roll, you you break your weapon and now you like for the rest of the fight you've got to figure out how to fight without a weapon. Uh mm. the baseline though is that in D&D almost in every situation a natural 1 is an auto fail for whatever it is you're trying to do. So that's kind of uh, leveraged here and then the next few steps you've got t- from two to nine you create five treasure tokens so you know that's that's something from a 10 to 19 you gain three life and draw three cards and then on a 20 a natural 20 and this is the opposite effect in D of a natural one a natural 20 is an auto success and depending on what you're actually trying to do may have some other benefits associated with it on a 20 for treasure chest you search your library for a card any card If it's an artifact card, you may put it onto the battlefield. Otherwise, put that card into your hand, then shuffle.
1: Mm. That's wild. That's that's pretty good. Yeah. So two through nine, you really don't want, right? It's kind of like a mana doubler. This would let you... I guess, have one turn of like Fires of Invention-esque gameplay where you just get to play two things, like two four drops or something like that if it's the next following turn, or play something else that very turn that you did it. But gaining three life and drawing three cards, that's more your value, but then you're not getting any mana back from it. I don't know, this will probably be fine. And then if you happen to hit a 20, I guess you get the tutor. In Limited, you kind of almost would rather hit 10 to 19 than the tutor, though. I mean, unless they're printing like a... I don't know, an Inkwell Leviathan of some sort in this set. I haven't seen any artifacts that I want to sneak in, though. But
0: The flavor there is like the treasure chest has some cool new weapon in it. You know, from a D&D perspective, you're like, ah, oh, I upgraded my armor or I upgraded my weapon or Just something. The one you wanted. Right. Yeah. And, you know, that's cool. I think you're right from a D&D pers- from a From a limited perspective, you're probably going to generally want to draw those cards. Uh, yeah. But, you know, there's something to be said here. This is a three mana card that does nothing until you pay four more mana.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know if I'm first picking this one. A little loose. Yeah. Next last up. But not least, last but not least, I wanted to mention Eliwick Tumblestrom. Now, this is not a D&D character from what I'm aware of, but uh, she's very clearly a bard. I mean, all the art we've seen with her on it so far is just hilarious to look at. From what I'm getting, she's this happy go lucky. Uh, minstrel of some sort with a frog companion that sits on her shoulder, and she seems to inspire the local woodland creatures to do some kind of jamboree. I don't know, I love it, whatever's happening here, it's great. So she's two green green for a four loyalty legendary planeswalker type Eliwick. Her plus one is venture into the dungeon, uh, which, you know, enters the first room or advances to the next room, more on that in our set breakdown, but just having that alone as a repeatable venture effect is really versatile for the first activation and then seems to be able to power you pretty quickly through the rest of the dungeons. Her minus two, look at the top six cards of your library. You may reveal a creature card from among them and put it into your hand. If it's legendary, you gain three life. Put the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. All right, she can make friends. Pretty cool. Her minus seven is you get an emblem with creatures you control, have trample and haste and get plus two, plus two for each differently named Dungeon you've completed. Huh. Weird. Yeah. Uh, Trample and Haste, we've seen something like that before. It's kind of like a little Chroma's Memorial type thing. Yeah, so that alone is feeling. pretty good. Yeah, like very green planeswalker. But then getting plus two, plus two for each differently completed, d- differently named dungeon you completed. I mean, I assume by the time you ultimate her, you've probably made it through a dungeon. She's not the only thing venturing. There's other cards in the set that venture. So, I don't know. You ultimate even if you tick her up to eight and then ult and you get that emblem and then you start taking her up again, then you can, I guess, complete the one dungeon if you hadn't finished it and then that emblem would then give all the things plus two plus two and then you can keep venturing with her. I don't know. This seems pretty cool. I- I'm interested to see where she falls and I feel like she'll be a pretty solid limited card.
0: Yeah, I, th- I assume that's how that works. That like the emblem will tick up the power and toughness buff if you complete dungeons after the fact. I, I would hope that it's not like you it, it checks only when this ability resolves and then that's it for the whole emblem because that would mean the floor on this ultimate is give your creatures trample and haste which is fine but certainly nothing to write home about but the ceiling on
1: this is trample haste and plus six plus six so absurd obviously last but not least we wanted to chat a little bit about modern horizons 2 we didn't really even put any notes for this we just had a good time cracking some mh2 packs and wanted to talk about it so first of all um we had a pretty good box we didn't we couldn't get a draft booster box those things are just sold out everywhere i don't know Uh, we did manage to get set boosters which i think was our first time really cracking those too much but i don't know it paid off we got quite a few rares a bunch of cool alt arts the uh, the nice extended borderless ones some of the retro frames some sweet foils what we get like six fetch lands yeah, I think it was six
0: fetches. We opened a Ragavan, which was pretty sweet. We opened two grists. One was foil and extended art. There were a handful of other things, but those were kind of the money cards we opened. We did make the value of the box back, which felt great. And then we mm. we basically what we did, we did a super sealed of sorts where <laughs> Ben and I, we so a box has 36 packs, right? and we cracked, I want to say it was two sealed pulls each plus a pack or something like that. Well, well, hold on.
1: We started with one sealed pool. And yes. already it's off. It's a little loose because the packs are kind of seated. Right. So yes. A yeah. pack will tend to have like a bunch of blue black cards in it and then a blue black uncommon. So we had to account for that. Uh, but we figured, hey, maybe let's just try it. See what happens. So we each cracked six of each, or like each cracked six packs. And then we were like, hmm, we don't know what we're building. You want to crack six more? <laughs> <And> then, <laughs> yeah, because both,
0: both of us looked at our pools and were like, do we even have a deck here? Like. <laughs> like, can either of us make an actual Magic the Gathering deck with the cards that we opened? And we both looked at each other and kind of shrugged, and we like, want to open another pool? <laughs>
1: <laughs> so we had this super pool of 12 packs each, and that kind of negated the whole seeded aspect of it. By that point, we had enough stuff, we were able to make some pretty sweet things. And I, I think our decks were pretty sick. Uh, I played Jund Storm, and it performed almost exactly as I expected it to. When it worked, it was freaking fantastic. Something like the best I probably had was well, like 30 power on turn six or something. I made a bunch of 4-4 beasts and yeah. suspend really helped.
0: Yeah, there was one game where you, I think you went turn one or two soul talisman and then turn three or four, you played like four spells into a chatter storm and it was like, yeah. okay. All right. This is. thing and it was hilarious because but while we were opening packs i think i opened i opened one of the other storm cards that was kind of garbage one of the other green garbage storm cards and i was like why'd Mm. they even put storm in this set (laughs) and ben's over there like secretly trying to put together this like uh this this storm deck and it actually worked pretty well i played a shenanigans grixis list um that that played it it was just tokens like it just wanted it wanted food it wanted treasures it wanted squirrels it wanted crabs Saltai, right sorry yes what did i say grixis yeah yeah it was Sultai. it was Sultai. no red Sultai, yeah yeah but uh, back to it
1: it was sweet it was the sweet day the
0: first game the first game we played was hilarious because ben was like trying to sort of get off the ground and do his thing and i was just like tokens and tokens and tokens and tokens and he was like was oh. junk trawlers." was that the card uh it was uh junk winder i think
1: something like that yeah yeah junk junk winder which up.
0: Taps down creatures anytime a token enters the battlefield. And then I had uh, one of the cards that um, when you cast something for uh, mana value four or greater, you, it makes tokens. I had uh, the Simic artifact that gives all your tokens flying. I also had a, a Glimmer...
1: Was it Glimmer Baron? Yeah, yeah, oh my god. Glimmer Baron absolutely wrecked my game plan, game one. I was hoping to, like, make a bunch of stuff, attack in. I had a bunch of squirrel tokens... And he just has this 1-2, but, like, three clues, two treasures. Uh, a couple of squirrels. A handful, yeah, some squirrels. And I'm like, that thing is functionally an 8-9 or bigger. Yeah, I think at one point I got it up attack. to,
0: like, a 12-12 function. Like, an yeah. effective
1: 12-12. Yeah, so I, I couldn't attack even with my, like, two twos and four fours and whatnot. Uh, I, I just got... Destroyed by that little atag type thing, and it was it was pretty impressive. So tokens definitely uh, definitely earned its spot uh, in in MH2.
0: Well, that does it for us this week. Thanks so much for listening and walking through uh, sort of how we approach a new set. Hopefully you got some entertainment out of our discourse on MH2 and D&D as Magic set. Um, If you're interested in talking more about those things, definitely check out the Discord where we have a ton of channels and people have been going off. As Ben mentioned, our D&D spoilers uh, channel is kind of firing on all cylinders so definitely check that out if you're interested in talking spoilers or getting tips for the upcoming format as it comes out also stay tuned for our uh set breakdown or format breakdown episode which will be coming soon as well and if you want to support the show directly the best place to do that is on patreon you can check that out at patreon.com forward slash draft chaff pod we'll be updating that in the next week or so so definitely keep an eye out on that if you've been on the fence with the patreon Really appreciate all you who have been supporting us financially there. It's amazing. We still are baffled that people continue to to support us that way. If you want to reach out to us outside of the Discord, you can do so on Twitter. You can find me at Galfridian, Ben at Betafish1, and the podcast directly at Pod. You can also email us at DraftChaffPod at gmail.com. Thanks, everybody. We'll talk to you next week. Enjoy spoiler
1: season. Later. So real quick before we go, I wanted to chat about uh, what's been on TV recently, because now that I have free time again, I've been getting caught up on all the things that I haven't gotten to catch up on uh, in a while. So first off, uh, have you seen Bo Burnham's Inside yet?
0: I have not. I have heard very good things, but I have not seen it.
1: Oh, boy. Uh, It is a time and a half. I was never like the biggest Bo Burnham fan. I'd seen like little clips and things from I'd never seen one of his full specials before. But uh, I had been told many times, similar to you, that uh, it was fantastic. Eventually, one of my good friends came over to my apartment, sat me down, and was like, all right, we're watching it right now. And I was like, okay, I guess we are. It was her third time seeing it, uh, and she was still just as excited to watch it. And I was like, okay, it's got to be good. And somehow, despite all the hype, it was exactly as good as people had told me. Uh, Bo really crushed this one. It's, it's kind of a masterpiece. I don't think I've seen anything like it. If you want something that perfectly captures the zeitgeist of right now, just what everybody's feeling post-COVID slash readjusting to the new world slash uh, global warming slash capitalism has kind of screwed us for good, uh, it doesn't offer too many solutions. So it can be a little depressing to watch, but it does really capture what people are thinking. Highly recommend. uh, Extremely well made. But now, there's a few other things, too. Uh, Bad Batch. Yes. That I'm... So, I apologies,
0: because I sort of spoiled... Also, uh, we're going to try to avoid spoilers here, so I don't know if we need a spoiler warning. But maybe spoiler warning. We're talking about a show, and if you are worried that we're going to spoil something, maybe stop listening. Uh, I sort of spoiled something for you accidentally, Ben. Sorry about (laughs) that. Uh, Hopefully, that wasn't... I don't think it was the biggest spoiler in the world, and it didn't give you too much info, but...
1: Sorry about that. Um, yeah, it's fine. We've spoiler alerted enough, so spoiler alert one more time. Cad Bane is back. It was pretty cool. Uh, I, I could have predicted this though. Like right. Bad Batch has kind of been Dave Filoni jumping around the universe, uh, seeing how people are doing. Cad Bane, he's still there, still bounty hunting, still awesome. old tricks, still awesome. He, he, I mean, he actually beat Hunter in a duel. <laughs> that was sick. Like, I didn't think they it without
0: much effort either. He's just like you're, you, you're done.
1: Like. I thought it was gonna be like a fight. I thought it wasn't just gonna be a duel, but he—I oh, mean—he wrecked that guy so good. Western Dave Floyd knows how to make a good Western that's moment. True. That's for sure. But uh, I, I don't think there's been one. That was the most recent one, right?
0: Most recent episode. Uh, I
1: thought there was one this yeah. week, or actually, oh, I guess it—I guess one? it hasn't.
0: I don't know. I think I missed last week's as well. There should be one I on guess Friday. I did too. So I'm not positive, but maybe I'll watch it after
1: we're done here. Uh, yeah, I'll probably do the same. Um... Anyway, that has been pretty good. I thought the first episode was the strongest, the kind of mini movie. Um, mm. And I think everything else since then has been a little closer to like average Clone Wars levels of goodness. Yeah. Still pretty great, but nothing quite as as gripping as the, the very first one. Now that we're starting to get back into the main story instead of the kind of island hopping, jumping around, checking in with people, uh, I think we're starting to get back into the good stuff. Um, everything with crosshair is, is pretty great. Apparently we're getting
0: a mid season finale, so to speak, where they're doing like kind of a movie type thing for, I think it's episode 11, um, which is supposed to be pretty phenomenal. So hopefully that, that stands up to that. Um, the other thing, I don't know if you caught it, but those two girls that they were, that they ran into, like the mining chicks were Ahsoka's friends from the end of clone from the, from the, the last season of Clone Wars.
1: Right. To be honest, they weren't my favorite in Clone Wars. I forgot their names. They were a little annoying, and uh, they were kind of padding before the absolutely insanely good last arc uh, of of Clone Wars. So once that last arc came up, I kind of wiped everything with them from my head, but it it was a cute throwback. And uh, last but not least, speaking of Disney, look, Disney's not my favorite company, but they can make some pretty entertaining content. Loki. So. Uh, have, what have you seen the first
0: episode and very very little of the second so i'm quite a bit behind uh i saw a poster spoiled of the main villain so to speak so i do mm-hmm. know the the cat is out of the bag for me on 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 what her deal is but uh uh-huh yeah so um, it, i yeah. i will say i did really like the first episode i thought it was it kind of got back to some of what i liked about WandaVision in that they're trying some wacky new stuff we get to see a cool character that we like a lot that i think as much as i did like the show Falcon and the Winter Soldier just didn't stri- it was it, that was just very straightforward MCU buddy cop yeah. Captain America movie whereas mm-hmm. this this feels like oh we're going to get some some nice new like teases at random stuff that's going on in the MCU and we're going to see some pretty fun things happening so
1: Yeah, uh, I I kind of agree with Falcon Winter Soldier. It was just all right, entertaining enough to watch. It's like, whatever. WandaVision, I think, uh, well, it definitely was my favorite. I think the first episode of Loki was my least favorite so far. Uh, If I wanted to watch the original Avengers movie, I would have just watched the original Avengers movie. I didn't need them to show me the same clips from it that I remember. I've seen it before. They could have just put a thing at the beginning that says, go rewatch Avengers, then watch this, and they could have saved like, well, it, wasn't, that it wasn't the
0: first Avengers movie that they were recapping, though. It
1: was Endgame. Okay, they, yeah, they did some Endgame, but they also did, like... They, they showed the scene from the first Avengers movie, and they, they did the cardinal sin of um, recaps in, in media, which I cannot stand when they show a clip from a movie in-universe, uh, like, with, like, Uh-oh. the camera angles and the shots. It yeah. breaks everything. Yeah. I, I cannot stand about. it. So with, like, like, the, the interrogation they show... scene? Where he yeah was like, or yeah yeah, yeah. Can or when um, they're when the Avengers are all poised above Loki yeah. uh, on the top of Stark Tower and that they have like the shot reverse shot where he's like, I'll take that drink now. Yeah. And it's like, oh my God, just show it from his perspective the whole time. You yeah. didn't have to switch back to the overhead shot, like looking down at Loki, he doesn't remember it from the Avenger. He doesn't remember it from Hawkeye's yeah, perspective. Yeah. He remembers from it? They could have just freeze the screen yeah. on that and said, this is what it was his perspective when he said, I'll take that drink now. But it was so obviously just like a file that they had uploaded. And that, that ruins things for me. I cannot stand it when a show does that. But anyway, forgetting all that episode two was much better. And I really liked where it went. Episode three was awesome. Okay. I just, I was like, Oh my God, this is so much fun. Like, I am totally hooked at this point. I'm sold. You got me, Disney. Uh, I'm in. So that's what I got. You should catch up because we got to talk about this thing. Will do. I've Um, got a a
0: three-day weekend coming up. I definitely will do that. Nice.